want to uh, just um, welcome those who are worshipping with us on LiveGate Outreach TV and uh, listening to the podcasts of these messages. I want to say that God will continue to shower his love upon you wherever you are, and uh, God will continue to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that you can ever ask or think in the name of Jesus. So we want to thank God for what he's doing with us. And uh, we have been on a series on uh, developing the mind of Christ. Developing the mind of Christ. One of the most essential things that God requires of man is to walk humbly with him. Michael chapter 6 verse 8 tells us that he has shown us what is good. All that the Lord requires of us is to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. The mind of Christ is a humble mind. The mind of Christ is a submissive mind. And uh, we have started on the series, and I believe we have our banner today. And uh, we have been able to, thank you very much. We started from uh, being in the image of God. And uh, because we are created to be in the image of God, from what we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we've been looking uh, our God still wants us to be in his image, but through the lens of Christ, our salvation. Man lost the image of God that he was initially created in by sin. But God, in his infinite wisdom, gave man the ability to come back to a place of that reconciliation by accepting Christ or by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we are created in his image. But then we now began to learn what the image of Christ means, that we are to have no reputation because the Bible says he came and he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bond servant and he became, he also came in the appearance in the form of man. God who is the son of God came in the appearance in the son of man, of the son of man so that he can preach to man, so that he can minister to man. And it's such a powerful thing for us to learn that God who is God comes in the form of man just so that he can be a blessing to man. And then last week we learned, when Pastor Moses shared with us, we learned that the Bible says he humbled himself. And uh, we have been, we went through the whole week just meditating on how we ought to also humble ourselves. And what all this teaches us is that as we imitate Christ, we become more like him. You see, a time will come when we will look exactly like him. This is the promise of scripture. If you read your Bible in 1 Thessalonians, we'll still read it a little bit later on. He said that day is going to come and then we shall, the dead in Christ will rise first and those who who are still alive and remain will be caught up in the air and we shall be exactly like him. So there will be no difference. But in the process of time, we need to be conforming to his image. We need to intentionally engage with the process of change So that ultimately, when we be exactly like him, we have been on that journey and we are living life and enjoying eternal life even as we go through it. And so, the next thing we want to do, we have just about three more topics, including today's, to to look at in this series. Uh, So over the next three Sundays, this Sunday, next Sunday, and the final Sunday in uh, March, we will be looking at those three topics. And uh, we are looking today at obedience to death obedience to death. Our text has been from Philippians chapter 2, from verse 5. 
the Bible makes us to understand. Let's read together. Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus. Who, let's read verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Let's read verse 8 together because it is our anchor scripture for this morning. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let's read verse 8 again. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The Bible says we have looked, as, as I said, he came in the form of a man. We said that means that we should also be all things to all men in order to save some. And then he humbled himself. We looked at that last week. But now we're concentrating on where he became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. To the point of dying the most shameful death that was available in the time that he lived here on earth physically. Don't forget, every time we talk about Jesus, we are talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, the Son of God, cannot be killed. Jesus, the Son of God, cannot die even for one day, not even for one second, because he is eternal. But Jesus, the Son of Man, had the capacity to take on the form of man, have the feelings of man, experience the, the sufferings of man, and subject himself. But the Bible says he did that by becoming obedient. He did that by becoming obedient. So what we are looking at today is the obedience of Christ that we also ought to embrace in our own spiritual journey. The word obedience simply means compliance, either to a law or a set of instructions. It also means submission to authority. So when we talk about obedience, we are talking about compliance. We are talking about you doing something that's being commanded. Doing it because it is being commanded by either a higher authority or by someone that you must respond to. So it is about compliance. When the law says that if you drive a car and you come to a junction and uh, the light that you are facing or that is facing you is showing red, you have to stop. Now, it does not gauge your mood. It is regardless of whether you are happy or whether you are sad or whether you are singing or whether you are crying. As long as the light that you are facing in your lane says red, it simply means stop. Hallelujah. Now we obey that by compliance because it is commanded. And when we violate it, there is always a penalty. There is always a punishment for such a violation. Now the Bible says because he was the son of God. Because he was the one who never had to be disobedient. Who never had, he just lived his God. He never had to, to be given a set of instructions in the heavenlies as the son of God. When he became the son of man, he had to learn obedience. 
He had to understand obedience. This is why Luke chapter 2 verse 52. We are not turning to it but just remember. The Bible says, And the child, the son of man, grew. And he became. He grew. And he grew in wisdom and in stature. And he had favor with God and with man. So the son of man subjected himself to growth. He subjected himself. The same way he subjected himself to growth, he also learned obedience. The, the, the Amplified Version talks about that obedience being active, being living, engaging with the forces of nature. And so we must understand that obedience is an intentional walk that Jesus walked in and is expecting you and I to walk in. It's not something we do because we are engraced or gifted to do it. We do it because it is something that we have to comply with. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, we read it in the course of our text. Those of you who are listening to this uh, by audio or by video, we read Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 to 14 as our anchor scriptures for this uh, message. So you get the context also. But we want to read from verse 5 right now. It says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest. But it was he who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Let's go to verse 8. The Bible says in verse 8, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Let's read it again. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It means that obedience is learned through sufferings. Obedience is learned through trials. Obedience is learned through temptations. Obedience is learned through inconvenience. The Bible says, though he was a son. The son there is capital S, the son of God. But when he came, appearing in the form of man, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered here on earth. The Bible says in verse 9, And then having been perfected, he became what? The author of eternal salvation to all who do what? To all who do what? Wake up, church. Let's read it together. Verse 9. Everybody read it loud and clear. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we have also been enlisted in the army of those who must comply by obedience. He obeyed and got us life so that we can also continue to obey and walk in that life. Hallelujah. Look at what he suffered. Isaiah chapter 53 from verse 3. This is what he suffered. Let's read together. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Number 1. He was bruised for our iniquities. Number 2. 
The chastisement for our peace was upon him, number three. And by his stripes we were healed. He suffered all these things for you and I. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions so that we can become righteous. The Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities so that we we can become a sanctified, a holy people. The Bible says the chastisement for our peace was upon him so that we can live in peace and enjoy the peace that passes human understanding. The Bible says, and by his stripes we are healed so that we can continue to be delivered from sickness. He learned obedience through all these things which he suffered. Because some sacrifice had to be made for the atonement of you and I so that we can enjoy all that God had intended for us from the foundation of the world. And so in other words, Christ's death gave us life. Christ's death gave us life. Look at your neighbor and say, the death of Christ... Is your life. You have life. Because he died. And rose again. Look at 1 John chapter 5 verse 11. And this is the testimony. That God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Look at your neighbor and say. And this is your testimony. That God has given you eternal life. And this life is in his son. That's your testimony. That's our testimony. When I hear phrases, people say, somebody is living larger than life, I laugh. I say, what do you know is life? Because he has money or he has a position or he has something that the world standard measures as life. This is life. This is life. The Bible says this is the testimony God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Anything outside his son is not life. Anything outside his son is just existence. Anything outside his his, his son is just some display of materialism and display of world values that has no eternal value. The Bible says he has given us not just life, he has given us eternal life. The words eternal life, abundant life, everlasting life, they all mean the same thing. They only mean the life, the very life, the very nature of God that we embrace from here so that we can become the one who will live and reign with him forever even when we pass from this world even into the heavenlies. Hallelujah. Verse 12. Let's read verse 12 together. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is what distinguishes everyone who names the name of the Lord. We have life, not because we are breathing, but we have life because we have the Son. Hallelujah. So to enjoy the life that we have, however, we must also learn to be obedient to death. We must also learn how to be obedient how to suffer, how to go through trials, how to overcome temptations and go on to the point of death. Now, I'm going to explain what death is. I have already explained that for the believer, death is life. Death is not the ultimate for the saints. The Bible says in Psalm 116 verse 15, you don't need to turn to it. It said, how precious in your sight, O God, is the death of, your saint, of the saints. The death of the saint simply means a translation. 
It's like somebody who slept and he just woke up and he's found himself in a new place. He slept. Have you ever been on a flight or on a journey, on a train ride or something? And uh, you got in, you sat down, and then you slept. And then suddenly by the time you woke up, they were waking you up to, you know, your new destination. You didn't know that you had traveled that far. That's exactly what it is like. When the believer dies, you close your eyes this side of the world, the time it's opened again, you are in heaven. Hallelujah. Death is life for us. Hallelujah. So we need to understand that when we talk about death, we are talking about when the Bible says we should be obedient to death, we must see it in the same way. Jesus Christ was obedient to the point of death. But when he died, he demonstrated that that death is not the death that is a final. It is a death that translates to life. That is why the third day he rose again. They sealed the tomb because they were afraid that he would rise again. By the time they got there on the third day, the Bible says the stone had been rolled away. Hallelujah. Because no death can ever hold him captive. And that is how no death in this life will ever hold you captive in the name of Jesus. So we must understand that we, to enjoy this life, we must understand the place of living also to the obedience to death. Believers are very afraid of death. Unfortunately, it's because we do not understand that every kind of death that we ought to die, we need to die so that we can become all that God wants us to be. Now, I know that we are in a generation that we believe in longevity, we believe in fruitfulness, we believe that we should not die but live to declare the works of God, and all that is right. We don't believe in the death that the enemy orchestrates because of our ignorance or because of undue advantage of demonic powers. We don't believe in that. But we believe that there are two kinds of death for the believer. And everyone who names the name of the Lord and has eternal life will need to go through these two kinds of death. The first one is the daily death. Somebody say the daily death. Dying daily. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 31. Paul said, I affirm by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die what? Daily. I die daily. We need to know that if we are going to be people who will enjoy eternal life, we need to die daily. Somebody will say, but Pastor Dave, what does that mean? Does that mean I kill myself and wake up every day? No, it simply means you must continue to eliminate the works of the flesh that are contesting your enjoyment of eternal life in this world. You see, the Bible talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the flesh are all those things that he listed are evil. You can read them from verse 19 thereabouts. But from verse 22, it tells you about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control. The Bible talks about this as being the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says, as men that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the ones who have this new life. So the fruit of the Spirit, anything that goes against your walking in love is a fruit of the flesh. You have to kill it. Anything that is suggesting to you, I'm just giving you examples of how you can die daily. 
Anything that is suggesting to you that you should not live in forgiveness. That means you cannot, if you cannot live in forgiveness, you cannot walk in love. So you have to kill it. You have to bring it before the altar of God, bring it before the blood of Jesus and say, I have been sanctified. I have been set free from bitterness. I have been set free from keeping every kind of malice. And so you break yourself from it. And if you find it coming up again the next day, you break it. If you find yourself walking in lust, lust and passions that are evil to the body, either in sexual terms or even in terms of food and in terms of things, sleep, things that just overwhelm you. The moment it comes, you cannot control yourself. The moment it comes, you just have to obey it. You have to die to that thing. It is a fruit of the flesh that you have to die to. You have to die to it. You have to refuse it and reject it. It's a daily battle. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. Unbelief that you find yourself walking in. The word of God comes prophetically. A word is declared and a a pronouncement is made. And that voice keeps telling you it is impossible. You can never become those things. And so on and so forth. You have to die to that voice because that is a voice of death. That is a voice of the enemy that is a death of the enemy. Not the death that would lead you to life. The death that will lead you to life is what kills you and deadens your emotions towards those things. Deadens your spiritual antenna towards those things. And then you are able to embrace the word of God. It is a daily walk. And you and I must continue to die daily till Jesus comes. We must continue to embrace the place of going in strong and walking in the place of overcoming trials and persecutions. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, you can note that down. It talks about the temptations of this world, the chastisement of this world, not being joyful, but rather being painful. He said, but when you patiently engage with them, they walk together the fruit of righteousness. I'm just paraphrasing that verse. They bring about a fruit of righteousness. The trials of your faith is walking out patience and perseverance. We must rise above the lustful tendencies of our day and age where we refuse to accept chastisement. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we should live in a place where we are looking for suffering. And so we, we live carelessly and then we fall ill and we say that, oh, that is God chastising me. Or we spend our money foolishly and do not plan and do things. And then we find ourselves in huge financial chaos. And then we say, oh, God is chastising me with lack. It's it's not nothing to do with any of those. I'm talking about these kind of challenges that we face from time to time. That we know that of a truth, we are standing strong. We are doing everything as commanded in obedience. But yet we are having the trials of life. We are having issues with our health. We are having issues with our careers. We are having issues with our families. We are having issues with our marriages. Things that we cannot explain from time to time. These are trials that are allowed by God for you and I to pass through. So that we can keep dying daily. And keep overcoming and embracing the importance of the eternal life that he wants us to enjoy. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. The Bible says that I have been, let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Let's read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. 
We're going to be looking at this in more details next week, but I just want to remind you that you and I have been crucified with Christ. So on a daily basis, we must walk in that place of crucifixion. We must walk in that place of dying to self, resurrecting to life. Dying to evil, resurrecting to life. Dying to lying, resurrecting to life. Dying to evil thoughts, resurrecting to life. Dying to anger and bitterness, resurrecting to life. We must understand that this is how we enjoy eternal life. If we are couples and marriage, uh, or in marriages and we are refusing to die to the things that the enemy has put as stumbling blocks and we are embracing it. I have always said to every couple in the last 30 years or so I, that I've been privileged to counsel or just put one word into them that as long as each party in the marriage is refusing to die to self, forget it. That marriage will be hell on earth. You have to both determine. It's never done by one person. You have to both go 100% and say, I refuse. Listen to your spouse. Listen to your spouse. The things that your spouse is telling you that he or she doesn't want are the very things you need to die to. If they say they hate the way you talk to them, stop talking to them that way. Why do you say that's the way I've been talking? That's the way my father talked. That's the way my grandfather talked. <laughs> You say, you don't know my family. That's how we talk. No, we don't want to know your family. The man say, I don't like it. The woman say, I don't like it. Stop doing it. If you want a paradise on earth, die to self. This is how you die. You die daily. You listen. You are watching the other person. This is how marriage works. There's no magic to it. You are listening to the other person. You may not like what they say. If they say they don't like you dressing in a certain way, don't say, that's how I've been dressing before I married you. No, don't say that. They don't like it. Who are you dressing for, by the way? Are you dressing for yourself or for them? You want to dress for your spouse. You want your spouse to look at you and say, Honey, you smashing. Yes, yeah. That one makes you more happy. Is it the one you look at yourself and say, I look good? Is that the one you like? But when your spouse looks at you and says, Honey, I just love the way you appear. <laughs> you, you put your hand in your pocket again and do that. <laughs> as long as it makes them happy, as long as it makes them good, die to self and enjoy it. Now, of course, I'm not saying... We should not know where to draw the boundaries. Don't be Ananias and Sapphira. If your spouse wants you to do a wrong thing, don't join them. I believe if Sapphira had told Ananias, you know, honey, we can't do this. We sold four houses. Let's give the money of the four. We can't put the three down and pretend. But the, mo the moment the man came and said, you know, honey, we have to be wise. This is wisdom now. <laughs> we have sold the four, but you know, we, we still have that bill to pay. So let's keep this fourth one. The woman says it's true. Don't say it's true. Don't say it's true. Don't say, hey, honey, that is not right. <laughs> we have vowed for the fall. Let's put the fall down. That would have saved them. It would have saved them. And so there is a balance in everything. But what I'm trying to say is that if you want your marriage to work, I, I just feel like I should say this. If you want your marriage to work, this is one principle you must know how to do. Dying daily. Dying daily. Don't ever think that you have arrived because whatever you think you know, you have not known until it starts to give you the results that you desire to see. Hallelujah. Keep dying daily. Keep dying daily. And may God continue to give us wisdom. In the name of Jesus. It works in every sector of life. If you work for an employer or a boss and they are criticizing a certain element of your work, don't just say they hate you. Go and review it. Can you do it any different? And I know that some, some line managers can be mean. They just pick on you and they're mean. That's not what I'm talking about. But somebody who is really constructively giving you a feedback about a poor performance in an area, 
Don't throw it aside. Go home, reflect. What can I do better? Ask them. How do you think I can do this better? Do you, do you have another way of doing it? Whatever it is, so that you can learn. And then you can continue to increase. But in life, we must understand that we must know how to die daily. Paul said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So knowing how to die daily is the first thing we must learn. Then secondly, preparing ourselves for the ultimate death. This is the one, as I said, people tend not to want to talk about. But you see, whether we like it or not, we're going to leave this earth someday. And uh, what we pray is that we live having fulfilled. The Bible says, and David, having served. The day I saw that one in the Bible, I said, that is it. That is all a believer needs to do. And David, having served his generation, he slept. I said, that's good. That's going to be my story as well in Jesus' name. <laughs> and David, having served his generation, he slept. You and I, having served our generation, we should sleep. You want to live here forever? God forbid. God forbid. But you will not die before your time. I say you will not die before your time. You will keep living to fulfill the works of God. In the name of Jesus. Just before the service started, there was a news flash. That a, a, a plane crashed this morning. Sadly, 156 people. An Ethiopian airline. And that's it. End of life. 156 people gone. Just between yesterday and today. May God comfort those families. In the name of Jesus. But that's how it is. A day is coming, friends, where we'll be no more. We have to prepare for that day. All this bickering and pulling things that are not necessary. Listen, you have to live ready every time. So, friends, we have to prepare for that ultimate death. But the way to prepare for it is to keep living in obedience. Jesus, again, showed us that he took steps by obeying every injunction of God so that when he had to physically die, he had fulfilled everything. And so in John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And how did he get to that? He came to that point by obedience. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The Bible says, as it is appointed for men once to die or to die once, and after this, what? The judgment. It is appointed. It is an appointment that no one can miss. No one can do without. Everyone, every man will go through this appointment. This is why as Christians we must understand that our lives must never be lived on a day-to-day -day basis as if we have so much time in our hands. The Bible says we must be redeeming the time because the days are evil. You have no room for bitterness. I always tell my wife this on a one-to-one -one basis. I say to her, I say, you know what? I don't want a second of uh, sadness. I don't want a second of chaos. So if, if I offend you with what I say or what I do at any time, just tell me there and then I'm willing to say I'm sorry because I want to move straight into joy. Listen, friends, I'm 50. Before I know it, I'm 75. And then I'll be fighting you over, <laughs> over you cooked rice and you put... Uh, I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> I don't, maybe 30 years ago I could be doing that. I don't see... I'll see people 65 years, they're still struggling to, to fight people. And I'm wondering, don't you know you are living extra time of your life? <laughs> if, you live, if you live to 50, 60, you are, you are starting to enter extra time. You know extra time in football? Injury time? Is that not what you call it? <laughs> I'm not cursing, it's the reality. And then you are still fighting people and still causing problems here and there. You don't have that time. 
Live every day, enjoy it, live it fulfilled, and also use the wisdom of God to be preparing for this judgment day. It is coming. It is inevitable. It is coming. It will come someday. So we must understand that we must be obediently, passionately waiting on God, doing all he has commanded. Christian suffering, friends, is therefore the pathway to life. It means we will keep overcoming trials like Jesus did. We will keep overcoming temptations like Jesus did. We must never be afraid of trials. We must never be afraid. Many people are not serving God to the capacity they ought to because they are scared. Commitment is such a fearful thing in our generation. This is why we try things out. When you buy any product, they sell you a phone, they say they give you 30 days to try it out. If you don't like it, you, refund, you return it and they refund your money. You buy anything, they give you 30 days to try it out, 14 days to try it out. And people have extended that to marriage. Let's live together for some time and try it out. If it works out, we continue. If it doesn't work out, we part ways. <laughs> so everything is trial. This is, this is a generation that likes to try it out. <laughs> we don't want to take risks. When we commit, when we obey, the Bible says Jesus Christ lived in obedience. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. And he obeyed to the point of death. He did not try it out. He didn't say to the father, let me go and see. If I can do it, I'll do it. If I can't do it, man, you, you zap me back up to heaven. <laughs> if those guys are not serious, you just zap me back up. No, it was a one-way journey. I'm here. I'm here for the kill. I'm here for the final thing, to rescue mankind. Because man has no other choice if I don't do this. That was his resolve. You and I must understand that this is how we must resolve. This is why when he went to Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, the devil thought he could unleash the final blow. Don't forget, in Matthew chapter 4, he had been tested, tempted so many times, three times. If, when the devil did not succeed, they tried to kill him many times. But he did not succeed. Then he went to Gethsemane. This was the most difficult point in the whole journey for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 to 39. It's a very interesting story. He took Peter, James, and John so that they can pray with him and pray for him. But unfortunately, those ones were sleeping for him. <laughs> they were sleeping all the sleep he should have slept at night together. He came back and he saw them sleeping and he said, Friends, can't you just tarry with me for one hour? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. These were his trusted disciples. We always say Jesus Christ had 72 and 12 and 3 and 1. The 72, the popular ones we know in, in, in Luke chapter 10, those ones that he sent out two by two. Then the 12, the 12 disciples, which included at that point Judas Iscariot that betrayed, betrayed him. And then the three, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and then the one, the beloved, John, who he eventually came back to see in Revelation to give the vision of the future churches and how they ought to behave. It's very important that we understand. These were trusted aids. What am I say, trying to say here? Many of us must understand that the trials of life would require us many times to go it alone, to trust God alone. He trusted these people, but they were sleeping. He said, stay here and watch with me. But they were sleeping. But thank God for verse 39. Go to verse 39. He cried to his father. He said, Father, verse 39. Are we there? Okay, let's read together. The Bible says, he went, let's read together. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, 
Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. Stop there. At that point, the devil thought, that is it. I've got him. He's willing to let go. Ooh, I've got him. All the demons were celebrating. We got him. He's about to give up. He's not going. He said he's wishing to let the cup pass over him. And the demons were rejoicing and celebrating. We got him. We got him. And then suddenly he said, nevertheless. Oh, they said, oh. Everybody say, oh. <laughs> he said, not as I will. But as you will. And at that point, they knew that there was no hope anymore. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand, a big hand, a big hand. Thank God Jesus Christ went the whole way. Many times, the enemy would think he has got you in the very difficult challenges of your life. And you say all sorts of things. But every time you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, let your will be done in this matter. Let your will be done in this matter. Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Every time you come to this point and you allow the will of God to prevail, you overcome. I say the will of God will keep prevailing in your life in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, as I start to draw this to a close, verse 1. It said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Don't be afraid of tribulations. When you have challenges in your life, begin to celebrate God. When you cannot see the way out, begin to celebrate God. And put on the knowledge that that tribulation is going to produce for you perseverance. Hallelujah. That tribulation will produce for you perseverance. In the name of Jesus. Perseverance is your ability to keep enduring and to keep going until you attain the goals that have been set by God. Verse 4 says, and that perseverance will produce what? Character. And that character will produce what? Hope. Hallelujah. Verse 5, the Bible makes us to understand. He said, now hope does not disappoint. Your hope will not disappoint you. Your hope in God will not disappoint you. He said, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit as was given, who was given to us. Hallelujah. You and I must understand, every perseverance, every tribulation is to give you perseverance. You are learning something today for what you need, for the strength you need tomorrow. You are learning it for the wisdom you need tomorrow. God is putting into you a character that is needing to be formed for where he wants to take you tomorrow. Embrace it. Don't run away from it. And God will keep giving you victory in the name of Jesus. Many of you have heard my story. As a 10-year-old, I followed my father to the United States. We were still living in my home country, Nigeria. This was in the very late 70s, early, uh, early 80s, very early 80s. And uh, he went to Greeley in, in Colorado to do, Colorado State, to do his, 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 his own PhD. And we were all there with him. And I found myself as the only African-American child, or African child, I'm not, Afri- I'm not American, African child in, uh, in, in, the, in the place we say these things and they, they all enter your mouth. <laughs> Where did America come in now? <laughs> the only African child, the only Nigerian, the only colored child, the only black child. Everywhere you could describe it, I was the only child out of 300. Now, I came from a family where I was the last born 
And uh, I had never seen a place, a time in my life up to that point where I, I was treated with any kind of disrespect. I had elders, elder, elder siblings and my parents. I was a favorite. I was like a Benjamin. Everybody rallied around me. That was my life for the first nine years. So I thought that that was what life was all about. So when I found myself in this school and people were laughing at me, people would come and touch my hair and check what it is looking like. People would rub my skin and see whether it would feel off. I felt like an animal. I felt like the busiest of men. As a 10-year-old, and I would cry and cry and cry. And teachers like Miss Lister, I'm going back to the States very soon by the grace of God. I want to go to that school. I'm trusting God to go to that school. I've checked it online. I've checked my church. I'm going back there to give these stories. And Miss Lister, they've all died now. These people were very old 40 years ago. They've all died now. But Miss Lister and Miss Fisher, our principal, Dr. Ken Eckhart, I can't forget those people. They will call me into their offices. And Dr. Frydendall, the vice principal, they will call me into their office and encourage me. They said, I just have to go on. They're sorry. There's nothing they could do. They will call some of those kids and scold them. But this was 70s America. Racism was rife in the atmosphere. And so I went through those experiences. And then one day I went home, I told my dad, I said, I'm no longer going to school. My father said, son, you want to go back to Nigeria? I said, no. (laughs) My father is not a time waster at all. He has no time to waste with you. He doesn't negotiate anything. He just said, you want to go back to Nigeria? I said, no. He said, okay, you better. (laughs) So I put on a thick skin. And when I was going to school, I would sit on the school bus, the yellow bus, Nobody will sit next to me. Nobody will sit in the seats in front and the seat behind. They will cramp themselves in the other seats and leave me alone, isolated, as if I was carrying a plague. But suddenly, God began to put upon me resilience, ability to go through that by myself. So when I walked into the bus, I carried my bag like that and carried my violin on one side. I'll put the violin in the seat in front. I'll put my bag in the seat behind and I'll spread myself like that in the middle. (laughs) Hallelujah! (laughs) I started refusing their insults and God began to give me strength. And then one day, by mistake, they put me to play ball. Thanks to Coach Clark, who called me by the sidelines and said, David, don't you know how to play ball? I said, I can. He said, why have you been staying here all along? I said, they don't put me in. He said, really? He just called one of the guys. He said, come out. He said, you take his place. When I got in, oh my goodness, in two minutes I scored three goals. <laughs> All the goals are being hungry to score. <laughs> the grass was very green and fresh. I had boots on. Where I used to play, I, don't, I will not tell you more about that. <laughs> so why would I score? <laughs> Where I used to play, we used to do like this to count the goals. <laughs> To, to make the goalposts, we do like that. <laughs> and we'll put one stone there, and put one stone there. And we we'll kick it, and somebody will say, it's over. I say, where well, is over? He just, <laughs> there is no post, nothing. They say it's over, and they understand it. And then you put me on a proper field, and say, I should not score. <laughs> so before you know what was happening, I was scoring and scoring, and to God be the glory, that changed everything. Now everybody wanted David on their team. Now everybody wanted David to play on their side. And that was what God used to break the ice. But I look back 40 years now and I see what God put in me as a strength from that time. You can hardly throw anything at me now and I'll be moved. Hardly. 
to the glory of God. Hardly. Any insult? What is insult again? <laughs> Which insult? <laughs> what do you want to call me again? So you don't know what God prepares you for per time. It was horrible at that time. But today, it's a big asset for me. I pray God will bring you through things and cause you to be built stronger in the name of Jesus. Be willing to go the whole way for this God. I want to close with this very short story as well. In the year 2017, about two years ago, my wife and I had the very great privilege to visit South Africa, Cape Town, I went there for a conference. We have done this for many times. Anytime I'm going on an academic conference, when I can, I take her along. It costs me a lot of money, but I try to do that. And um, we've been enjoying that. So we went together to Cape Town, and um, we went to Robin Island where Nelson Mandela stayed. That's the prison there. It's now a museum. When you go there, they take you around. These are the exact buildings that they lived in when they were there. The next picture, actually, the second picture there just barely shows us in front of the very prison cell that Mandela stayed in that prison for 18 years. That little room, that little table, everything in that room is archived and kept because those were the very things he used. The prison has been closed since the 90s when he became president, obviously. But I want to thank you for showing that. And I want to thank God that we were able to see that. Mandela's life is a life that challenged me. He said in the struggles just before he went to prison, I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. These were the words that he spoke in the dock just before he was confined to prison for the rest of his life. And we know his story very well. We know he didn't die at that time. We know he came out of prison. We know he, he eventually led the country. And why am I sharing this today? Every time you are willing to go the whole way with God, God will cause you to walk in realms of testimonies beyond your imagination. Everyone who said, if I perish, I perish in scripture. I've told you many times. Check it very well. They did not perish. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Did she perish? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if he does not rescue us, did he not rescue them? Why are you holding back? Be committed to this race. Keep your focus. Keep serving God. Keep doing the things he has said. Keep being obedient to the point of death. And you shall live again. In the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and commit. For this. Well,